This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Rabbi Ruby and Epstein Show. We are here for a women's only event, a very, very, very special event. Before we get started, I wanted to tell everybody and remind you that you can email in email at marriagepro.co, as well as watching this class, as well as all of my classes on podcasts. Um, I also want to remind our audience about Date Like a Pro and Marriage Curriculum at marriagepro.co. Also, we started a few weeks ago talking about dailygiving.org, which is an incredible organization where you can give $1 a day to Tzedakah, various charities, including Torah Anytime, and Baruch Hashem, that has just been on the upward trajectory, and I encourage everybody to check out daily dailygiving.org. They are on pace to give $1 million this year to various Jewish organizations, but I believe that that's only the beginning and everybody should be signing up for dailygiving.org. It's a very easy way to give $1 of tzedakah every day without leaving your home, without needing a pushka, dailygiving.org. Now, a girl reached out to me not too long ago and she had an incredible idea. She said, we're doing all of these shows and all of these interviews And she said she got together a group of girls who wanted to have smaller Zoom meetings with various inspirational speakers, um, lecturers, educators, Rabbanim, and therefore she started a spinoff of this show. She started something called NASA, which is very appropriate, NASA Vinishma, NASA, um, and she got together a whole bunch of girls. So there are going to be various cohorts that are currently being formed. It's going to be first come, first serve. Anyone who wants more information or who wants to sign up to that can email nasanow at gmail.com, N-A-A-S-E-H, now, N-O-W, at gmail.com. Lastly, we want to thank Torah Anytime for helping out the show, for being a big supporter of the show, and we remind you to sign up to the Torah Anytime Daily Dose at 929-355-4268. With that being said, we always have our proverbial drum roll to introduce our guests. Thank you so much to Mrs. Dina Friedman from, not from the Dina Friedman Academy, that would be wrong, but Mrs. Dina Friedman for taking of your precious time and joining us here on Torah Anytime for a very, I believe, hopefully, as we say, um, eye-opening and not just awareness building, but there is so much that you have to offer and whatever amount of time we're going to give to this is not going to be enough. Um, so people definitely will have to follow up with you um, at the Dina Friedman Academy. But um, basically, I don't, I, I can't even begin. But I'll, I'll just begin. You know, your series is on chinuch and shalom bias and self-esteem and mastery. Um, have educated, you know the numbers. I don't know the numbers, but everyone I talk to that I'm having on Mrs. Friedman, they're like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Friedman, I'm I'm a fan. I watch everything from her. She built my marriage. She built my children. So as someone who has been so inspirational in building, giving people the tools and the skills to be able to build their own lives, their own marriages, their own Yiddishkeit, their own self-awareness, their own self-esteem, building them up from the inside out and allowing that to perpetuate throughout their home. Thank you so much for giving of your time. Thank you so much for being here and joining us um, here on our weekly, bi-weekly show. Bi-weekly? Every two weeks? Yeah? Twice a week? Okay, whatever it is. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I, I wanted to start just with, with you. Um, before we get to any skill-based or questions that may have to do with, um, that may have to do with you know, who, who you are and, and, and you know, specifics with Chinuch and Shalom Bias, where do you get your, your content? Like, how did you come about getting into where, you, where your, your current space is? I know you live in Eretz 
you're projecting out to the world on your phone, usually, not video. So thank you for doing this video interview. Um, how did you come about getting into this field of becoming who you became? So first of all, before I answer that, I, I can't wait to answer the question, but I just want to say I'm delighted to be here today, and I'm so grateful for this invitation. I'm so impressed by the work that you do, Rabbi Epstein. I'm impressed by what Tyre Anytime does, uh, people that have dedicated their time and energy to improve the lives of cholesterol. There is no way to evaluate that. And Thank so, you so much. that's just beautiful. And uh, I, I just want to take a moment to connect to the audience out here. I so appreciate you giving of your time to be here and the opportunity for me to share things that I'm inspired by, things that I'm passionate about, uh, things that I love sharing. And so I just want you to know my intention here today is that I hope and I'm excited and looking forward to meaningful conversation that would add value to your life so that when you walk away from here, you really take something that would improve your life in, in a very significant way. So Maybe that's a tall order, but anything can happen. So that's it. So now I can go to your question. <laughs> How did I get into doing what I'm doing? And uh, the truth is it was desperation. I didn't plan to land where I am today. Uh, when I did what I did, I was living my life. And uh, I had three kids in the space of three years. And I suddenly discovered, like when I was with myself, that I was betraying every parenting promise that I had made to myself. I was not going to yell at my kids. I wasn't going to patch. I was going to be patient. I was going to attend to their needs. And lo and behold, three, three children and four years down the track in my marriage, I was doing everything I said I wasn't going to do. And I hated myself for it. And so that's how I got started. And I think, you know how they say, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. And that's kind of what happened to me. But this, I had two pivotal moments like this. So that was the first time. And I was probably 23 years old and I came across an ad and I didn't think twice about it. I saw the ad and it like just called me and I called up. I didn't even know what I was calling up to, but I just called it with some parenting something. So I just knew I needed parenting support. And it turns out that this was actually like the equivalent of a from women's college. Where we're talking about going back 25, 26, 20 you know, whatever, calculate the maths, whatever my age is, but <laughs> I was going to say, there's no, there's no such thing as women over 18 years old anyway. So, <laughs> so, so whatever it was and all those years back, you know, it wasn't common, but here in Israel, people did go take classes, but parenting wasn't, there was probably one or two options, but it didn't matter. And it was like this from college it was called it doesn't exist today anymore. But, uh, and they were giving a four-year program course to actually train us to be parenting counselors. And I really needed personal help. So that's what I signed up for. And I remember the woman looking at me and saying, how old are you? And I said my age. And she says, she tells the other woman, don't you think she's too young? And she says, it's okay. She'll grow up. She'll grow into it. And that was where I started out. And so I went for myself out of desperation and I worked my way through the program, and I loved it that much that, that I started teaching and, and forming groups already at home, groups like that, uh, only two years into the program, just because I so wanted to pass this information on. And so that's how I got into the parenting. And then, of course, that evolved over time with, with experience, with my kids growing up, with practice, and, and you know that information evolved. I tweaked stuff as I tried it and added my own creative pieces to it. 
And so, you know, that, that formed the basis of the Hanukkah in our parenting program. Uh, but then what happened along my journey, I'm trying to remember where I was when this happened. This was after my sixth child. So after my sixth child, um, I lost two pregnancies, um, both, both one after the other, halfway through the pregnancy. And that was, I think, the first time that I was really hit with a situation that I was totally out of control with. No one knew why it was happening. I didn't know if I could have more children after that. Um, bringing children into the world was what I, <laughs> that just gave me so much meaning. It's what I wanted to do. And I, so I lost myself there. I did not know how to process those losses and the fear of what was happening inside me that I had no certainty about my future. And I, you know, that needing control was very important to me at the time before I had any self-awareness. And so um, that started a second journey for me, but this time it was a journey inwards into myself and reclaiming myself. And so I was in a depression and I, I walked around in a depression for one and a half years. I was in denial. I knew I didn't, something was wrong, but I wouldn't admit that something was wrong. I somehow managed to stagger through my days and my highest values, which was caring for my kids and giving my classes. I still managed to maintain the energy to do that. But when I described that period of my life, it was like I was walking around with chains on my ankles. That's how, what it felt like to drag myself until eventually I got that desperate that I finally reached out for help. Now, you have to take into consideration that back then, going for help was huge stigma. It wasn't, I mean, today people still, have, unfortunately, there's still a stigma around it when really help is a gift. But at that time, um, for me, I was doing something that was basically admitting that I'm either crazy or something seriously wrong with me and so on. But that started an amazing journey. And all of what I created afterwards in my next program, which is the mastery program, which is mastering your mind and emotions, mastering spiritual connection, eventually mastering your marriage, they were all brought in there with everything that I learned from my own journey to recover, to recovery. I was very committed. I was like, I am going to heal myself, like whatever it takes. And in the process, I was learning. And uh, that's how I came by my second set of information that I give out. And then I, I moved from what you could call the stage of victimhood, which is where I was at the time, into, into a, a deep sense of empowerment. And from there, that led me to the information that I teach on my power series, which is really how to manifest every desire that you, that you have and create a life, the life of your dreams. Wow. So yeah, that's in a nutshell what my life's journey was. <laughs> So, so I, I want to just understand, I know you have this series online, right? Which people can access and they can go through, yes. you know, piece by piece. You also do coaching, right? Meaning like you sit with That's people. That's right. That's right. Mostly like, over, I don't know, over the phone, I would assume. It's mostly over the phone because my, my beautiful clients are mostly in the United States. <laughs> okay. So at what point when you're talking to someone, do you, do you feel like this person needs i'm going to use the words licensed mental health professional but meaning at what point do they need like full-on therapy maybe a psychologist or a psychiatrist versus just the tools or the skills or is it one and the same well look the main distinction between coaching and therapy um or a licensed therapist approach or 
who's seeking their services. I'll start with what the coaching service is intended for. It's basically for people that are, have made peace with their past. They're living in their present and focused towards their future. So they're in a stable place and they're seeking the service of a coach to help them along their journey to create more success in their life. That's what the coach is bringing. Now in the particular, and this might be true for all forms of coaching because I train coaches in, in my setting, the, um, in, in my setting, what happens is, is we have many healing tools so that when situations arise that require healing because there's something in the past that hasn't been healed, uh, we have tools to help with that. My guidance to my coaches is, is that if someone does not have the emotional resilience uh, to maintain emotional balance from session to session on their own, they're probably needing a different form of help. So there's something that either a deeper healing or something they haven't made peace with, or some kind of mental or emotional habit that they're practicing that's putting them in a position where they're not able to maintain their emotional uh, stability. Then I recommend that they go to another form of help. Uh, so is there crossover? There's definitely crossover because because we have healing tools as well. But I, 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 I've, I've been involved in, in so many things for the last decade. And the way you're laying it out here is so it's making my life so clear to me because because you're 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 basically saying I don't want to put words into your mouth so tell me if I'm if I'm okay. saying this to, if I'm saying this the correct way but essentially if somebody's really going backwards or meaning if somebody's really going backwards they need therapy if they can't maintain from session session to session then they need they need somebody on an ongoing basis to really delve. I'm not going to say delve deep because I'm sure I know what you do is also delving very deep. Um, but I find it very interesting because I deal with a lot of couples and some of them, you give them tools, they come back a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, they keep getting those tools, those skills, and then their life just keeps going upwards. And then there's some people where it's like nine one one, They just, you know, they're calling at three o'clock in the morning. Hey, I need to talk to you right now. You're saying once it gets to a point where they need that, they need Hatzalah, they need like that thing, that's what they need more than just simply Probably, a coach. You're not going yeah, forward. Yeah. 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 I mean, at least in, in the style of coaching that I present. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. Now, c- can you walk me through, it's actually interesting because last night I had um, a meeting with somebody who was in crisis with a few different Rabbanim and there was a life coach there who is excellent. Very, very good. And I was watching how he was um, taking this person's thoughts that were sort of trapped in their mind and he was helping them verbalize it and put it out onto the table. Um, he wasn't giving them the answers. He was like basically encouraging them to speak their, speak their truth, speak like what they're feeling. And he was, it was, it was masterful to, to like watch him pull it out of them. How does that usually work? People hear inspiration, they hear concepts and ideas. What is the process of getting somebody to take that and turn that into, you know, actionable items. Because like you said, a lot of people, they want to be great parents. They're never going to yell. They have it all down to a science before they have children. But then the minute the first kid comes along, they find that they can't, they're upset, they're angry, they're yelling, they're screaming. Well, that's because in the first place, it's an unrealistic expectation, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, does that, how does that work? Like how, how, does, how does somebody translate concepts into like action is it slow is it one piece at a time how does that usually you know what's an effective method for making that happen 
So I think that it really depends where that pull, that calling is coming from. And so you could call it leverage in life. Okay. There's leverage going on in our life and it's either going to be trying to avoid pain or trying to achieve some level of pleasure. And as human beings, we are more motivated to avoid pain. So when there's leverage building up, okay, and we get satiated from a situation, like I've had enough and I've had enough of having enough, that, that's a time when a person is really ripe to cross that threshold into change and have a different life experience. But when a person isn't satiated yet and they're not at that point, they're less likely to put in the effort to create lasting change. So there needs to be some kind of internal help going on, like the leverage. Now, in coaching, I can artificially create leverage so that the person is then inspired, and usually by showing the brain that if it stays that way, it's going to keep accumulating more and more pain. And when the, pain see, when the brain sees enough pain, it says, no, 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 no. And now you've got your brain on board because the brain wants to avoid pain. So, and that's the time when a person is ready to make lasting change to the degree that they see that pain to that degree, they're going to make lasting change. So that's one thing. There's got to be some background that's pushing the person. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't just make sense. I think it's brilliant. What, what, I, I want, I'm, I'm literally taking notes as you're talking. <laughs> so okay. I apologize to everybody else who's listening, but this is just my, my own. I'm just taking notes here. Um, you're saying, you're saying that. If a person experienced, I'm going to use the word trauma, or they went through something that was traumatic or painful, then they have a natural catalyst to understand that I need to do something different. So they're going to, they're going to then be more motivated to seek pleasure, which is going to be skills and changing their life circumstances to make things better. But what so, you do- So often, trauma, I, do, I just want to correct something because trauma might not be an accurate word to use here. People experience trauma that's beyond their control. You know, they go through a shocking experience- when I'm talking about pain is like, let's say their marriage is giving them enough pain. Right. Well, let's my story. Why did I eventually go for help? But look how much pain I needed to accumulate before I went to help to heal myself because I'm still holding and I'm still holding and I'm still holding, but the pain is accumulating because my life was not working for me. And eventually it's when it's when the pain is that big that the option to change is a better option than staying where you are. Because to change, it takes discipline, it takes effort, it takes input. So we creatures of habit and just want to stay in our comfort zone, we'll stay there until we're literally pushed out of there. Okay? That's until we learn that to grow through inspiration is a better idea than growing from pain. That's already... The next level. In other words, if a person's setting up their life like this and they say, I intend to grow through light and love, I intend to grow through inspiration, they're now, they're now setting themselves up for a different style of growth that doesn't require the leverage that I was speaking about in the first place. Meaning they are looking for the pleasure that they're going to get from the results of growth. Right. Okay. And growth meets our need for fulfillment. All right. And when we stagnate, we start to lose that sense of fulfillment. It's like life loses its meaning. We're here. And, and one of the things that we need to do is grow. So what's going to prime a person for change? Either the leverage of pain. That means 
if my marriage is giving me enough pain, eventually I'll go pay money for someone to help me get out of it. And then as a result of that, I'm now motivated or inspired to take the steps, whatever that might be, to stop the pain. That's one way that people might grow. A more inspired way to do it and a more lasting and effective way to do it and a more fun way to do it is to just be invested in I'm here to grow. And I want to do this through love and light, not through pain. And then Hashem sends you opportunity. He sends teachers. He sends experiences. He sends courses, classes, all sorts of beautiful ways, books, all sorts of ways to help you grow. Now, in terms of creating lasting change, and this is something that I um, am very strong about, for change to last and for a person to keep the momentum going, because again, it's an investment of time and energy. We have to agree to that. That's why people don't do it so easily. And that's why you need a lot of pain to push you to do it. Um, but so that it lasts, it's that you start incre- with increments, starting with the easiest to the hardest, starting with very small pieces first, because what happens is, is that when you, when you decide, okay, I'm just doing one little change. So let's just say it's your marriage, okay? And you know that there are different elements that when those elements are present, your marriage is going to be rewarding and fulfilling. When those elements are absent, you're going to feel it. Okay. So if I'm trying to help someone bring their marriage up, I'll start, I'll tell them, okay, there's these, these are the elements that make up a good marriage. Choose one that is easy for you to do that you think, you know, that right now you're not doing, but that would be easy for you to do. And then decide how many times you're going to do it that you know, you absolutely will. So don't tell me you're going to do it 10 times a day. If you know that you can't stick to that, I'd rather you tell me I'll do it once a day, but I'll do it once a day consistently and I'll choose the easiest element that I can implement and start over there. And when you do it that way, because some people think, okay, so let's take on the whole thing. No, no, don't do that because you won't hold up to it and then you'll lose whatever possible benefits or rewards you get. Take the smallest thing and put it in an amount of time that's realistic that you know you can stick to and then go do that. And then it starts to affect something and starts to push up in a positive way and the brain is rewarded for it. And as the brain is rewarded for it, motivation goes up and it's like, hey, and now we get the pleasure factor coming in. Hey, this is nice. I like the reward of this. Okay, now I can take on another thing. And so you build it in increments and then you're off and running. Wow, I hear you. I I view so many, um, I like, not looking at people, studying people, you know, like understanding, <laughs> understanding like their, their, their mindsets, um, sort of studying, you know, the, the habits of successful people. And just want to go back to what I was saying before. Um, not the idea that people have trauma, but I find that when people have gone through pain, we'll use the word pain. When people have gone through pain, they oftentimes are super motivated to just be off to the races because like you said, it's just, it's just so in them to run away from the pain. And then the more they get towards the pleasure side of things, they remember that pain and they just go. They're, on the flip side, there are people who never went through pain. Not, I'm not going to use the word trauma. They, went through, they never went through any pain, but they sort of just look at their life as, as a base. Like, here's where we are. But look at that. Look at Rabbi Victor Miller. Look at Rabbi Yashiv. Look at Rabbi Yashiv Feinstein. Like, or Rabbi Tanel Yashiv, or whoever it is. They never went through that pain, but they just see the pleasure and they they gravitate towards that by contrasting their life where it is now 
and where it could be. What I'm trying to get at is that not well, everybody- that's also a level of pain, you have to understand. When we make that contrast, we right. give ourselves artificial pain. And that's, some, well, that's a technique that I do. In other words, when I'm creating leverage, I'm, I'm pulling in pain or creating pain by showing what's possible. But wow. people in general, if you took statistics on this, people are more motivated to grow in order to avoid pain than they are by showing them the pleasure. If, right. if you did an interview on this with people, that's what it is. For sure. uh, I, I think that once people experience the pleasure of growth, uh, they get addicted. And that's what they're doing. <laughs> I hear. I hear. <laughs> I find that it's almost like we're the generation of complacency in, in so many areas because we're, we don't, you know, throughout the millennia, we've been so, I'm going to use the word persecuted, but in various ways, we always had it very difficult. And because life is so easy today for so many people, although we have our pain bodies as well, but for many people, um, you know, the way that our lives are structured for many people, they have money, they're affluent, they're, you know, to many, nobody's trying to, you know, kill them or herd them into cattle cars. For many people, it's just a very stagnant life. So just contrasting where you could be and where you are. I love that med. I, I love that model of being able to show that if you just look at where you could be, there's a certain pain in where I am right now. Okay. Moving on from here. Cause this is, I think this is brilliant. I, I love the model. I think it's a beautiful model for where people are coming from. And even in general, where people could just be looking to achieve. Now, if I could just move on to another thing, I, I heard from my wife, she passed on one of your teachings, which I thought was, I thought was brilliant. And I think that it's, it's really a model for so many different areas of what we're doing or what we're involved with. Um, I'll give you the story. So you had given a seminar in Borough Park on self-esteem and you had mentioned over there was that if you stop for a moment and you just internalize that I am a piece of Hashem and therefore I'm intrinsically worth, you know, worthy. I'm intrinsically valuable and I intrinsically love myself. And there's like a consciousness about that. And you focus on that and you focus on that and you focus on that. Then you will start to develop a certain sense of esteem. Like you'll hold yourself to a certain level, a certain confidence for who you are. And my wife told me that in the room there, um, you had then told everybody that they should turn to somebody who they don't know which, right, which is you need a certain amount of zikh, a certain amount of self-esteem to be able to do that and a certain amount of confidence right. to do that. And just say to them, you know, wow, you're amazing, you know, and this is what I see in you. And my wife said uh, half the women were crying and it was like a very moving and emotional, emotional experience. Um, being present, I don't want to use the word mindfulness or um, I want you to focus for just a minute, if you may, if you, if you can, on the idea of being present in what we do. How important is that? And how does somebody, you know, achieve that? People, a lot of times, let's say they daven, um, and, and they're just like, at the end, they're like, I didn't, I didn't connect with what I did. Or they're, they're like children, like, what did you do for your children today? I don't know. You know, like, they just go through their day. What did you do for your husband? I don't know. How important is being present in your role in, in, in what you're doing in your life? How important is that? And how does somebody go about achieving that? Yeah, <laughs> the quality of your life is incomparable. If you, want, if you want to up the quality of your life, that's one of the skills you want to develop or one of the habits you want to develop. And we could call it mindfulness, but I'll anyway define it. So it's learning how to live in the present in the here and now and being fully aligned with what you're doing. 
up. Most of us don't do that very well. Most of us have what I call split energy. So we're doing what we're doing, but our mind is somewhere else. And um, so when you are able to develop the ability to be present and aligned with what you're doing, there's awesome rewards to that. First of all, all insight comes to you when you're present. So if you're, if you're present with what you're doing, a level of understanding or even guidance that you might need in that moment will show up for you because everything is being guided in the here and now and in the moment. But if your brain is split and your attention is split, you're missing out on the information or guidance that's coming to you here in the moment. It just reminds me of a very quick story. Can I share? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I had a situation a few years ago that my neighbor came banging on the door and she was like 11, 12 year old girl holding her younger two year old sister. And the sister was like a floppy doll with her eyes rolled back. I don't know if the girl was dead, passed out, like, and she just like thrust this child into my hands and there wasn't, she was not responsive. And the mother herself had been so terrified by the episode of what had happened that she herself ran away in her own apartment, sent her 12-year-old, and threw the child into my hands at the door. Now, I have no idea what, what the background situation is. Is this kid alive? What, what's going on? And no one gave me information. And I took that child, and I somehow, without, I have no medical background or no, that's all I for nothing, and I, I positioned her on the floor and was with her and did all the, when Hatsala came, they said to me, how did you know what to do? Like you positioned her exactly as you need to position a child having this kind of a seizure, which, she, which what I ended up finding out she was having, she was having a seizure. And, and, and I said, all I know is, is that I didn't say that to them, but I knew what I had done in that moment. I got very present and I was like holding this child and I was present with the experience and somehow, and it, there was no exchange, but I just knew what to do. This is what I mean by what happens when you're present. There is like guidance is always available to us. We're always being guided, but when we're not in what we're doing, we miss, we miss, we miss the message. And so that's just an example. One, one huge benefit of what happens when you're present. Another thing that happens when you're present is, is that I'll just describe it like this. In everything that exists, there's a divine spark. There's a spark of Hashem in everything that exists. And when you're present with what you're doing, you experience it. And it's experienced as a state of expansion, of love, a life force, an energy that is alive in every experience. So let's take, for example, and I'm sure people have experienced this, but I'm, I'm just going to give it as a practical example of what I'm talking about. If you are present with your child in the moment, in the interaction, fully present, you see their soul. You see, this is not just a child. You see the divine in them. You experience your holy mission or task in your responsibility to this soul. You even experience yourself as divine. And so it's like an elevated moment. And the whole interaction is different. The whole, and it becomes moments of love, love, love. Because the presence of Hashem is total love. It's just 
unconditional love that cannot be taken away. There's nothing you can do to undo that. It's just a state of being. It's the way it is. And so every time you're fully present in what you're doing, you have access to feel, you have access to that state and feeling the presence of Hashem. And that's an awesome way to live. Now, I'm not saying even though I know how to be in that position, I don't live like that every moment, but I know how to go there and I take myself there as often as I can. But that's another rewarding aspect of living mindfully. And then, of course, the quality of what you produce is incomparable because when you're fully present and all of your focus is here, the results are going to show. So that's that's my encouragement to being mindful. Um, but then again, without being unrealistic, you know, I, I think that a lot of people put pressure on themselves, for example, that when they dive in, that they're going to concentrate from beginning to end. And they just, and typically they just wake up in the last few words and here I, how did I land at the end of this? Right. And so we just have to be realistic and kind to ourselves because people today, their attention, they can't hold more than seven seconds. So if you take that into account, of course, before, you know, you get through the bracha, your brain is gone. Um, so that's, you know, I, I don't want to set up for an unrealistic thing, but first I just want to inspire you through the pleasure of what you could experience when you are mindful. And it, it's very, it, it's really a powerful way to interact in, in life. Ways how to get there. Well, one thing is if you begin to practice stilling your mind just as a daily practice, you're, you'll train your mind to do that. And what that is, is getting quiet, uh, perhaps before you start your day. And again, before you go to sleep and just closing your eyes and just focusing on your breath. And just being, because your breath is only in the now, you're not breathing in the past and you can't breathe into the future. You're only breathing in the now. When you focus on your breath, it brings you into the present moment. So just doing that and then having an intention as you do that to connect to your own magnificence and the magnificence of life. And you set that up as an intention and you just breathe and you keep your focus on your breath. And if your mind wanders, you bring it back and you're gentle with yourself back and forth, back and forth. And with time, you get better and better at it. And you start to bring your attention to one focal point instead of being split energy. Uh, that's one way to begin to build the skill of living in the here and now. Um, another way to do it, this one is my favorite and I do it like it's easy. I just ask myself, what do I love about this moment now? And you can always find something, you know, even if you're stuck in traffic and you say, what do I love about this moment now? I have time to think. No one's distracting me. I can get to look around without feeling like I'm wasting time. I could even satisfy my curiosity and study the driver in the next car. What do I love about this moment now? You know, and when you do that, it brings your attention. It's like a calling. Come back. So it's a simple thing to do. If you practice that throughout the day, just that single thing alone, you're going to feel different about everything that you're interacting with. So there's, that's another way to do it. And finally, another way to do it is to, is to go through your experiences, feeling your way through your experiences rather than thinking your way through the experiences. So something as simple as washing the dishes and I just allow my senses to experience the pleasure of the warm water running on my hands, the feel of the plate in my hand, whatever it is, I'm, I'm feeling and that, again, brings the attention into the present moment. And your entire state of well-being is transformed. Like a peace comes over you because, you know, when our focus is split, of course, 
also our energy is scattered. And when our energy is scattered, we feel internal chaos. And when you bring your attention back, either through the question or through your senses, and you bring and you stay there long enough, you enter a state of peace. And uh, that's just what I said. The quality of your life is incomparable if you do that. Wow. So I just want to summarize this because I think this is so powerful. It's, the idea is called, you're calling it split energy, right? In order, you focus well, the on... the lack of it, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. The lack of split energy because you want to be focused energy, I guess. That would be the, 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 the opposite of that. The opposite. Um, which, which, right, which is, okay, so I, I once heard a story of a friend of mine. I didn't hear the story. A friend of mine told me that he, he came to Reb Nassim Finkel, and he told him that he wants to increase his, his learning. Like, what's, what's the secret to increasing his learning? And Reb Nassim told him, you have to be very focused when you're learning, not to talk about anything else, not to look at your phone, like just focus on the Gemara and really be present while you're learning. So he said, and I want you to make Kabbalah now, like say it out loud, what you're going to, what you're going to do. So my friend said, um, okay, I'm, I'm a Kabbalah that for an hour, I'm going to learn an hour straight without, and I don't he stopped him. He said, no, 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 no. Five minutes, five minutes, <laughs> let slow, slowly, five minutes. Like if you could do that for five minutes, like mind, I'm going to use the word mindfulness again, but being present, not having split energy. I would imagine is is incremental and it's like a muscle almost that needs to be exercised because most people, yes. this is not natural for them. Yes, yes. And then when you experience the reward of it, you're motivated to do it again and again. Very good. Circling back on that, when you experience the pleasure of that, you're like, oh, I want to do this again. Okay, amazing. Very good. It's very interesting because we have tefillah as the first thing in, in our morning. Um, if you listen to very successful non-Jewish people, they talk about how they get up and they they immediately meditate. They take some time. We, we, we have the tools almost built in for this, but a lot of us, while we're davening, we're thinking about work. While we're at work, we're thinking about our children. When we're with our children, we're thinking about, you know, it's always looking on to the next thing, which is, you know, going to be part of the challenge of, you know, yeah, of, of putting yourself into this state. But this is the overall encompassing or one of, you know, something which is probably a common, th- a common thread through various teachings that you have. So if we could, so I'd like to say- I teach this, I teach this idea, um, in, on my, on my um, mastering your mind and emotions, because this is one of the secrets to well-being. So starting with just your own, your own, your, yourself before anything here, else. Living here, that's right. Living in the here and now, being present with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, I know that the next question I'm going to ask is a series that's probably 50 hours long. <laughs> so I, I, I know that. I'm very aware. But... Like we said before, a lot of people, and I want to start with, with Chanach, if we, if we can. I know a lot of people, um, they have in their minds, you know, like they're never going to yell. They're always going to be perfect parents. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I've heard from my wife in, in your name, just an, an incredible idea, was that when you're raising children, um, there has to be, I'm going to use the word respect. I believe that's the word you used. Like a certain respect. <laughs> A, a, like a respect for the child that you have. Um, and the, the example that I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong. You had two children who went to visit somebody and one of them was offered food and they took it. And the other one said, this is not for me. No, thank you. And 
Am I re remembering the story correctly? And I don't remember that story, and it might not be for me, but that's okay. I'm listening. No, no, this is right. This is. I believe this is from you. Okay, so I'll say the story anyways, um, and you'll tell me yeah, if this please. is if this is in line with what you would teach. So one child said, "Thank you." You know, let's say it's uh, chicken soup, and the other one said, "No, thank you. I don't want it." And the the person who was offering it said, "Yeah, but your brother they they took the chicken soup," and they said, "Yeah, but this I don't like chicken soup," and. I believe it was now you. I this. I, now I remember the story. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so, right? I'm, it's an old story. story. They're both married. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but there, there was, that was such a reality. Um, it, the idea of Chanoch Lenar is not just like in, in theory, which I know is what you call the series, but it's, it's, it's a respect for each child processes things their own way. Each one has their own their own reality. I don't like chicken soup. Like, why are you forcing this upon me? You know, I have different needs. I have different feelings. I have, you know, different, um, what can you share? Like, what is a secret? I know there's a million secrets, but like when it comes to raising children, everyone thinks like their job, I think a lot of people think their job is like be mechanic with the hand, meaning it's more just like correcting and pushing them like, stop this. Don't do this. Be careful. Don't run into the street. It's a lot of self-correction or correcting somebody else rather. Um, Whereas that story like opened my mind to the idea that it's not just about that. It's about like understanding that you have a child who's a very independent soul. Each one is very unique. You know, this one from the other one. Um, how does a person, how does a person, or is that just the secret? Like, can, what could you share on that? How does a person take um, that idea and sort of recognize like my child is, my child, this child and this child are totally different. What is that, the Nakuda of Chanoch Lenar? Um, I think that, I don't know if this is the Nakuda of Chanoch Lenar, there's so many points made there, but one of the foundational understandings is, is what is your role as a parent? Like, and like you said, is it to correct? Is that your job? And I started out my parenting that way. And really, what I, what I believe and what I see leads to success is is that my role is to nurture their four worlds so everyone has four worlds spiritual mental emotional and physical and as a parent if i take the time to nurture those four worlds i'm creating an environment for my child that's conducive for them to become their very best self and so, and so i need to understand what it means to nurture their emotional world to fill them to, to both understand their emotions and meet that, to soothe it for them, to teach them how to self-soothe eventually as they grow up. Meeting their physical needs is simple. I need to give them shelter, a, a feeling of security as they're growing up, um, whatever needs that are basic needs that children have to provide for them. So these are examples. When a parent is focused on asking themselves, okay, so how can I best nurture this child? It also allows you to meet up with their individuality and at the same time to understand what it is that you're doing, okay? So what's this child's spiritual needs and how can I nurture that? And what's this child's physical needs and how can I nurture that? And so we keep in mind that it's, it's unique to each one, but then there's this general map that we're working with. And uh, when I, I, I tend to that, um, what will happen is, is that their best self will emerge. Because it's kind of like if you plant a seed, you don't have to push it and pull it and stop it to make it turn into a tree. What you need to do is water it, give it sun, sunlight, you know, do the things that nurture and it, it, it naturally does its job, which is to grow into what it's here to grow into. And children also do that. 
I, this, I have to say this, okay? That's, that's the broader story. Of course, in daily living, what do you do when your kid doesn't want to eat the supper? And what do you do when the kid doesn't want to pick up the toys? Okay? So I'm not talking about discipline now. Discipline is definitely going to be part of the package. But what, what, what are we doing here when we're parenting? You've been given this child, and your job is to nurture them. And if you do that, what will emerge will be a beautiful tree beautiful whoever they're meant to be mm-hmm. that- yeah no very good I meaning parenting is 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna say like it's the asetive not only the sormira which obviously it has both factors but the bigger you- focus is the asetive if you focus on the asetive even the discipline issues first of all they fade away and they're also they're not really what their life is about because in their own life they're doing their own thing you know in a house you have to conform to things there has to be rules and structure, but ultimately, when they're going out into the world, it's not about that. It's about who am I? And the way you nurture a child is the way that they're going to learn who they are. And that's what they need to take into the world because you're here to be your very best self. And my job is to make sure that I set up a, a conditions that allow you to be your very best self. That's more important, the discipline is just something we have to do along the way to keep them on track, to keep a family running, to, you know. So I, I, it's very interesting because one of the things that, again, I know that you teach. <laughs> I, I, so, it's so now funny you're reminding me of what I teach. <laughs> Listen, okay. you know, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's very memorable. And, it, and it, it really, it helps because these are not just like ideas. To me, it's, it shapes the way that you, that you processing. Like I'm an accountant. So for me, I have my lists and my charts and everything's very like Masudr. So when I hear things, it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. I like to like mark it down and, you know, keep a husband of, you know, this is chenach, this is shambayas, and like put things in a structured, um, you know, manner. But you, you had mentioned the idea that when, when your child does something, you should tell your child. They learn through you who they are. So if the kid, if the child did something, you'll say like, you were a miskaber. And you, I, my wife told me, you spent a long time talking about, you know, being miskaber. And you say, wow, you were I just really- have to say, you're an awesome husband. And your wife Because is- <laughs> I listened <laughs> to my wife. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that you're willing to. Yeah, <laughs> my wife did not didn't didn't slip me along on this journey. No. Um, well, that's why I'm saying you're an awesome husband. Because thank you, willing, yeah. you're willing. Thank that's, that's yeah. Really- no, she didn't. She didn't slip me along. I, I I I like I like hearing things that are impactful. Um, because I just think that, like you said, it's like running towards the pleasure. If your marriage could be this, but it could really be much better then how are you going to live with yourself when you know what you could have had, right? And same thing with your children. If you know what your children could really become, if you put a little bit of time into it, then, you know, why yes. do that? Um, but you had mentioned the idea of, of t- teaching your child. You are, um, you're a misgaver, like that's incredible. And maybe have a chart, like you are misgaver, you are misgaver. So it's just funny because I have, I have my own brain, obviously, uh, you know, like my accountant brain that I see things through and, I, one of the things that you had mentioned also regarding anger is that you have a certain set of rules and I, I'll talk about that in a minute that you, somebody has violated your rule and because of that, it, it sort of throws you off. And I'll, I'll talk about anger in just a minute if we can. Um, but I noticed that with me, because I'm an accountant, I'm very straight. If something deviates from the lines. So with one of my children, I like, I was explaining to him that he, he literally has my brain. And anytime, you know, he, he gets off with like a little bit, I'm like, one second, let's remember, let's remember our brain, right? Our brain is like this. And it's such a game changer. Cause he's like, that's right. 
that's what's happening. Like his, he understands his mind. He's nine, turning nine. Actually, tonight is Chavchas is is his birthday. Actually, should be good. Should wants to wish him a happy birthday. Could email him, Shimmy. Um, yeah, at email at marriagepro.co. Um, he's turning nine years old, I, but he he understands his brain. He's like, that's right. That's what's going on. My mind is like that, and therefore I'm upset. But it's okay. It's not so bad. We're instead of just grappling with the emotion of what's going through. He's really fortunate because what you're doing is, is teaching him about himself, which is setting him up with a map for his life because now he understands what's happening to him and then he knows how to use it for his benefit or he knows how to explain why something is the way it is and that that information informs him and, and empowers him into his future. So that's the greatest gift you could give your child, that level of self-awareness. Thank you. So, so I want to I want to talk about a, another piece here on on chinuch, if you will, before we move on. So, my wife and I I teach chasanim, my wife teaches kalas, and a lot of times we deal with couples that come to us, and we we sort of say to ourselves like, this person, nobody's damaged. Everybody comes, you know, is a chelik alikamimal. Everyone has a piece of Hashem in them, and the the word here is not damaged. But some people's emotions are not where they could be, where they should be, and Oftentimes, we speak to the parents and we realize they, they so did not get their child. They didn't understand how to prepare their child emotionally for, for the world, let alone marriage or raising, you know, raising a family. What, what can be said on that? Meaning, what tools or what concept does somebody have to know to, to, to check the box? And I, I always talk about how don't ever check the box. Life is not about checking the box. But how do you throw yourself into something where you're going to say, I prepared my child fully for dealing with life's challenges, like that they're emotionally healthy, that somebody's going to fire them one day, or, you know, they're going to have to fire somebody, or, you know, they may suffer a loss, or as we call it, like pain, I'm not going to use the word trauma, but they may, you know, suffer pain. How do we, how do we prepare our children aside for that, aside for giving them the, this is who you are and defining for them? What other things do people have to know about raising their children to be prepared for life? You mean to have a level of resilience for the yeah. natural life challenges? Is that what you're yes. talking about? Yes, yes. First of all, to stop overprotecting them. <laughs> Something that we as parents in this generation are doing a lot of. We're not allowing them to have their experiences fully, and we try to save them very fast, especially from having their distressing emotions. And I think that helping children realize that Distressing emotions are not dangerous. They are part and parcel of life's experiences. And our emotions are there to inform us. So then just welcome it on because when that emotion will come in and you'll listen to the message that it has for you, you'll know what to do next, whether to take action, whether not to take action. It's going to inform you in some way. Our emotions are serving us. They're not the distressing emotions are not there for us to get rid of them or ignore them or suppress them, but actually allow them to come up for us to give us information that we need in a particular circumstance. So you started to mention that, for example, when anger comes in, it has a particular message. And when we don't listen to it, we make choices that are not appropriate or not effective as a result of that. So it's not about allowing the anger up and therefore acting upon it, but it's allowing the anger up and asking, okay, what's it letting me know? When you understand the specific message of every emotion, uh, it's just total guidance for you, okay? So 
anger, for example, one of the messages of anger is, is that someone has crossed your boundaries. And very often we weren't even aware that we had a boundary there. And until we don't say, hey, stop, this doesn't work for me, someone will step over it. Your anger will come in and say, no, that's not okay for you. And then check in if you need to communicate that, you need to do something about it, or can you let it go and just know that for, for future. But anger is informing us. So when children are taught, so of course, when we are faced with a challenge, what's really the problem? The feelings that come up with it, right? Either we feel helpless or, or we feel despair or we feel anger or we feel, why is this happening to me? Or whatever the challenge might be. And if the element of the challenge is lost, then we feel grief. And when we don't know how to be, feel safe with our emotions, then we spend time trying to avoid challenges or, or walk kind of like this so that what's going to hit me next? Instead of just feeling safe and it's okay, whatever hits me, I will know how to deal with it. I think that that really teaching safety without distressing emotions um, sets someone up for a greater level of resilience in life. That's one thing. Then they're also, and by the way, more than even talking to your kids about it, it's living it. That's what they're seeing. You know, when you demonstrate how you live with your emotions in a healthy way and how you process them, children will just learn that by example. So the work is on us, parents. Are we, do we feel safe with any distressing emotion that comes up? Can I face my jealousies? Can I face my hatreds? Can I face my angers? Can I face them and process them? And then the children will learn how to do that. The other thing is, is also the perspective that we give around challenges. And one of the life-changing perspectives for me was the understanding that life is in support of you. It's not working against you. It's in support of you. And when you walk through your life with that fundamental belief, nothing can knock you over. Corona cannot knock you over. You just have a different take on it because you're open and curious. And if life is in support of me, so how is this situation helping me? And how is this situation helping me? And how is this situation helping me? In other words, your challenges become your teachers. They become your best friends because they, there's something that they're doing for you. And so you open up and you appreciate it. The fear goes away. And then you can walk straight into your life and you can get a sense that I can handle anything. I think that those two basic principles, they need to be in place. And again, it's more about how I as a parent live that way. You know, what message did I give my children when Corona hit? The message that I gave is who I am. And so the more you practice and experience and, um, and, and translate your life through the idea, it's always in support of me. Always. It's in support of me. Okay. You see, you see awesome, you get perspectives and understanding and insight that you can't get when you feel like life is your enemy. Life is out to get you. Life is not out to get you. So I think that, yeah, does that? Yeah. And you know, that's, that's, I think that's brilliant. It's, it's so, it's so counter how most people feel like on a daily basis, you know, if people feel like life is a struggle and they're swimming upstream, constantly trying to catch their breath, but you're, you're paraphrasing the idea of that everything is ultimately for your good. And a lot of people go, but how is it good? It's painful. Meaning, right? How is it good? It doesn't, doesn't feel good. So then it can't be good. 
And you're saying, no, it's, it's there to serve you because this is not the end all be all this moment in time, but this is preparing you for the next thing. And if you, if you chew over that emotion, you chew over that pain, you chew over that hurt, then it will, it will help. It'll help you for the next stage for the next thing that you're, that you're dealing with. I wanted to share with you that when I, I, I have mentioned this on air that we went to Eretz Yisrael as actually Lagwa Omer six years ago. And on the way back, my daughter, what, you know, she was screaming the whole time. We didn't know what was wrong with her, um, but she, she wouldn't stop screaming the whole plane ride back. And you know, those stares that people give, you yeah. know, like that, like when they see you come on the plane with the baby, they look at you, they're, they're like, like, please don't come near me. <laughs> don't come near me. Um, my daughter was screaming and screaming. And the short version is that we came back to America after being in Eretz for five days for my son's upshar in, in Miron. He's named after Shem Vayachai. And we, we landed and I went to the doctor and the doctor looked at my daughter and said, don't even go home. Just go straight to the emergency room. Your daughter needs emergency surgery. And it was life-saving surgery. She had MRSA, which was like a very infectious um, bacteria. We had no idea, but it was growing, you know, for, for a long time. Um, and they took her in. She, her body was like 104 degrees. Like she was burning up very, very hot. And they came out and Baruch Hashem, it was, it was successful surgery. And we were in the hospital for 10 days in quarantine before anyone knew about quarantine. We were in quarantine quarantine in a a Catholic hospital, um, you know, with, you know, crosses on the wall and whatever for 10 days. And I remember saying to my wife at when we came back, because I'm a terrible flyer. I remember on the way back, I was like, wow, I'm so exhausted. I can't wait to just relax for a day and then get back to normalcy, you know, get back to life. And then from there, we didn't get back to normalcy. It was 10 days of living in a hospital. And during the time, I kept saying to my wife, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I'm being prepped for something like my body is changing. My emotions are changing. My resilience is changing because I have to. We don't have a choice right now. And then when I was going for my CPA exam and I was studying till three, four, five o'clock in the morning and then getting up the next day, you know, at five o'clock in the morning to go give a shear in a shul and then teach. It was so many things like I was barely sleeping and barely eating and running. And I was like, I have more strength now because life, it fed it to me. It allowed me to do it. Otherwise, I'd be like, nah, it's 12 o'clock, I have to go to sleep. But it pushed my body to a point or my emotions to a point. It's so, it's so true. You're saying, you're making it so real. Come out of Rahman al-Tavavid is a nice slogan. But yeah, the reality- it's not, an, it's not an idea. It's, it's the real, you got to live it. You gotta live it, and, and you, you, you gotta. Live, you have to feel it through through processing and chewing over each emotional experience. That's what. So it's kind of, look processing emotions. Obviously, that's that's a skill, and it's not. We're not teaching here as we're having this discussion how to do that. Yeah. Um, but but when a parent knows how to do that and demonstrate that and and help children do that, you're setting them up to face whatever's going to happen in life because. The problem is, is that the situations are triggering distress and that's why we're running away. You don't want those bad feelings. But if you know how to manage those distressing emotions, you don't need to run away. You can stay where you are and you can do whatever you need to do. And the gift in the moment is going to emerge. Wow. Whatever you're called to, everything, everything, every challenge that comes our way is designed to unleash and reveal more of our magnificent self. So, you know, going back to that story where I lost my pregnancies and I went into a depression and so on, you know, one of the greatest gifts that I received, I, I got lots of gifts from that. I mean, that was, that was a life-changing experience. But one of the greatest gifts I got 
was that I, I developed the quality of compassion. Now, I had no idea what compassion was before that. Life was working for me. Whatever I did, I succeeded at more or less. I, I went where I wanted. I did what I wanted. It, it was like, I, it felt like I had life at the tip of my fingers. And, and so I would not have had a clue how to have compassion for people's struggles because I'd never been there. I, I, I never had, I never really had a broken heart. You know, never in a situation of such uncertainty that, you know, and so when, when you go through some things, you can only know through the experience. So, you know, and so, yeah, Hashem was priming me for something so that I could be a compassionate teacher, so that I could be a compassionate coach and an understanding one. I needed, I needed surgery on my heart and, you know, and that, and that's what emerged from it. So and then, and having compassion is a more magnificent version of myself than where I was before that. So that's just an example. But life is doing this to us all the time. And I have to say that even in this collective experience that we're having, which is a collective um, challenge to bring a collective lesson to us, all right? So even that, when I speak to my participants on the line and, and they, they have this perspective on life, they're like, I hope I'll never go back to be who I was before Corona. That's what you want to hear. That then it served its purpose. If it changed you, if something more magnificent emerges as a result, if your set of priorities changed to something even more amazing than where it was before, that was the purpose. Wow. So I, I hear, and you said a word, which I just want to sum up again, because I think this is just incredible. You said, um, when I when I lost my babies, the gift that I got, the gift, you call it a gift. That's unbelievable. Okay. Meaning Hashem is giving us so many. It's like the gift of Corona, the gift of cancer. It, obviously, it's very hard and each thing has to be taken into perspective in its own way. But the the gift of what you're going through, and I have a friend, I spoke about this. I don't want to talk about this too much now, but he also he has a daughter who has, you know, Yenemachla. She has, and he's in Sloan Kettering. And he, he also, he says, he's like, this is the, best matana Hashem could ever give me. My tefillah is so real. I feel Hashem at my side. And it's really that tool of like, what, what good can come out of this? What do I see in this that moment? Bring, that brings tears to my, to my eyes because, you know, we could either go through our stories and go nebuch, 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 or go through our stories and be transformed. And then, and then the purpose was met. You know, right. that was the purpose. It, what, the purpose wasn't nebuch. The purpose wasn't to hurt us. The purpose wasn't to knock us down. And so, you know, when he says that, you know, that, that, that really touches my heart because that's how we're meant to be living. And then live that way. There is no wounding. No story is a story of wounding. They're just gifts packaged somehow else. What you do need is to have patience as you travel through it because we, we live on many different dimensions. And when it first hits, it's going to hit on our most basic human dimension, which is the need to survive. So it'll hit and it'll hit hard and, and, and we kick about and we resist and we get upset. And yeah, that's normal. But after we finish having our tantrum about it, you want to sit down and just say, one second, one second, Hashem is on my side. And some people think that when they get their challenge, Hashem left me, he abandoned me and they've got it wrong. This is precisely when he's paying attention to you. He's like, what can I do now for you to help the more magnificent you emerge? How can I give you the greater gift of who you could be and how you can serve the world? 
And so it's, it's not, Hashem didn't leave you. He actually invested even more energy, if you could say that, in you. It's normal that when it hits at the first dimension, yeah, it's experiences a challenge. We don't like it. We resist. And if we can allow ourselves to do that because we're human beings, we'll then go to the next dimension and we'll start to look for meaning and purpose in it. And once we start to focus on, okay, what's the meaning of this and what's the purpose of this and where is this taking me to? And if you can be curious and patient, you will absolutely be led to answers. And in my experience, you don't need to wait till after 120 to find out why what happened to you happened to you. you <laughs> now, <laughs> you can just ask the right question. You just ask, where is this taking me to? What's trying to emerge for me now? I wonder what's the gift in this moment. And when you ask those kind of quality questions, you get those answers. And, and so my losses were deeply meaningful and purposeful. There's no question about it. My depression, oh my gosh, like everything that I have now been able to help people with has been because I was trained on the job. I was like committed. I'm going to heal myself. I'm going to heal myself naturally because I want to understand what's the mechanics that leads to a depression and what's the mechanics that undoes the depression. Like, so, you know, it's like I've been in the university of life and really if you just decide to be a student of life you'll be filled with wisdom just by staying present with your experience because you're always being taught. That's, that's wow. Amazing. Now, if we could segue into another um, couple topics here, which are, which are my, my favorite topics. So one, one I want to ask you is regarding girls who are, let's say, dating. Um, there's a very famous question that people ask. They say, you know, I don't have... I don't have life as a role model because I didn't grow up seeing role models. So I don't know what marriage is. How do I prepare myself? A lot of girls ask for marriage prior, let's say to even dating prior, because I believe that dating for marriage, you have to know what it's like taking a job interview. If you don't even know what the job is, then you don't even know what you're setting yourself up for. How does a girl who didn't see something at home prepare herself for what I believe is probably one of the greatest decisions in a person's life. You know, that the person you marry ultimately will determine, they're not going to determine your happiness, but they're going to have a very big impact on your happiness, probably more than almost any decision that you'll make in life. How does a person who didn't see that, they're not a student of life because they never had those role models, how do they prepare themselves for that? Well, first of all, everyone should feel blessed that they live in today's generation because there are so many resources out there available, like never before. So if you're wanting some guidance or information, there's more than enough <laughs> out there. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and I have to say that if someone pre-dating is asking that question, then they must have a level of awareness because very often until we don't leave our parents' home and create some distance in time, we're not really aware of what was dysfunctional. Because mm-hmm. it's not normal. So I want to say that if someone got to that place that they realized that that was less than ideal, they did have another model that they're comparing it to or they would never come to that conclusion. Hey, wow. can I say that? The yeah. only way could determine that something was less than ideal is because you saw something that was more ideal and therefore you did because without another model we don't think many children that are in abusive homes they think that's normal as an example right Right. or dysfunctional marriages you think it's normal until you see a more ideal model so 
let's just say it would not be accurate to say they didn't have any other model. They must have, because that's how they concluded that this model wasn't good. Mm-hmm. You think, and then just constantly seek out and get the education and the exposure. Well, I haven't talked about the solution yet, but I just want to say that they have had another model. And one of the things that commend and that I do with people is, as I say, well, I want you to scan your life and find three models of a marriage setup that you think is more ideal and what element is present in that that you see is ideal. Mm-hmm. And then adopt it. Adopt it. Once you identify it, you adopt it. One thing that I would have to caution, though, is, is that sometimes when people determine that their parents' marriage um, you know, was less than ideal, and then they sometimes overcorrect, like, I will never do what my mother did or never do what my father did, and then they go to the opposite extreme, that's going to create a different set of problems. So it's not overcorrecting, but what it would be is identifying what specifically do you think either parent was doing that you think contributed to a less than ideal marriage, what is it? And I help them, I would help them identify what the specifics are and then talk about what would be a better alternative or a more effective way within the relationship rather than thinking, well, my mother was so overbearing and controlling, I'm never going to behave that way in my marriage. But then if they're going in the opposite direction then they're becoming a shutter and that's not going to work either because they'll lose their entire sense of self within the marriage. Wow. it's not, it's identifying what specifically they think wasn't working and then thinking what would be more ideal and then mastering those skills. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can get to practice that <laughs> outside the <laughs> <laughs> Right, so, before, you're, before you're in a real relationship. There's only so much work you can do before you're in the relationship. And so I, I would encourage, you don't need to be coming from a marriage that's not working to take the time to learn what are the elements that make up a good marriage, what needs to be present, what are the skills you need to put forward to create a good marriage, um, whether you're coming from a good marriage or not. Because even when teenagers are observing their parents' marriage, they're observing a marriage that's been worked on for 20 years. They didn't see the starting point. Right. And that's work to do in their marriage. So that's not a fair assumption that, wow, your parents have such a good marriage, so now you can go do it, but then they try to do it and they realize that, hey, I don't know how my parents got here. How did they create the success in their marriage? That's not a given. Hmm. So whether you're coming from a less than ideal marriage or even an ideal marriage, everyone should have the information of what makes up, what are the components of a good marriage, what are the elements of it, and how do I go about doing that? And it's work. Well, I'm just curious, just going off on a little tangent here, why do you think it is that some people, they they are experiencing pain, let's say in their marriage, it's not, it's not really good. And they know that it's painful. And you, you could point it out to them and you could even give them a roadmap. Like you are here, it really could get better if you just follow these steps. And they just seem unwilling, some people, to follow a, like a model. I, I noticed with some people that, I'm, that I, I talk to, overwhelmingly they come because they want to hear something different than what they're experiencing now. But sometimes when I talk to people, I'm like shocked how you, you, you're living a painful life. You see how it could be different if you put in the effort. Here's the roadmap. It's literally follow the yellow brick road. You just have to just keep following this road and it will get better for those who didn't get the metaphor, whatever. Um, right? So it's, it's so simple, but that, there are some people that they just, 
they just they seem either unwilling or maybe it's just unable to change are there people who are unable to change their current yes, situation every, everyone is able to change everyone is able to change you commit to change and you can change um either their pain level is not enough to give them the leverage or they're getting a payoff for being where they are and it's a hidden payoff so you're not what you need to do is identify what's the payoff you're getting from staying where you are and once you identify the payoff then you can set them up for change so for example i mean one one really significant payoff that people get and why people you know they say they don't want their problem but then they won't do anything to get rid of their problem is because their problem is their comfort zone and people are really scared of change and going into a new experience it's unfamiliar they don't know the rules of that unfamiliar experience or people could even be scared of the success of it for example most people actually are very afraid of intimacy being intimate because it's a very vulnerable place to be in so even though you can tell them well you're going to connect much more you're going to have you know a lot more reward from it and you know whatever the case might be but they've also got a fear of what you're offering them so either they've got a current benefit that they're not aware of that's keeping them stuck and therefore they're not changing i once offered i once offered a guy i told him that i would teach him how he could generate more money in his life like how he could actually attract more wealth in his life and i would give him the steps to it and he was quiet for a moment and he said i don't think i want to do that cuz right now people are taking care of me and and i like that i like being taken care of i'm scared that if i'm going to have money i'm going to have to become independent i'm going to have to take care of myself he had a fear of his own independence wow losing people on the way so we need to realize that when people are not changing either the pain element is not really in their conscious awareness like you might notice the pain but they they it's not conscious in them so they you they don't have that leverage to do the change or there's a hidden payoff or there's a fear for the alternative that you're offering them wow. people are afraid of love they're afraid yeah we settle for connection but not real love right I mean they'll settle for like a code not a codependent like a like um what's the word i'm looking for Meaning you'll live here, I'll live there. They, they'll, yeah, that feels way. safer to them. It feels right. safer it's, to them. Right. So, wow, I hear. Okay, now it's so interesting because you know many interviews that I do, and we're not done yet. If you could give me like another okay. ten minutes, but, but you know many interviews that I do, people listen to, and they're like you know doing the dishes or whatever. This one is one like I feel like you have to study this. And there's so much more to study from you, but like, this is one that you have to, I'm, I have a million notes over here from things that you're saying. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I, um, I want to segue into a, into another topic if we can. Um, let's, I want to talk about confidence. A lot of people I know, the confidence I feel is one of those words that people talk about and we'll use the word self-esteem or whatever it is, but um, they, they, they struggle with it because they've been looked down or they look down at themselves. I've heard one person say that even just going through the yeshiva system for many people is 1% will be successful as the next Rosh Hashiva. And then many people will just feel like, eh, I'm just a guy. Like I just, I just went through and I just, I'm just a person. I'm nothing special. And there's nothing, you know, intrinsically like great about me. Like why should I look in the mirror every day and be like, wow, I feel amazing. I'm not just talking about men. A lot of people, they go through life and they're just, they feel like another person who was put out of like a, a cookie cutter system or just 
I went through the system. Yeah, I'm an average Joe. Like a lot of people will feel that about themselves. How do they feel more than that? Or, or feel like I can really be great or I am great? How does a person develop that feeling? Um, I think that what needs to happen is, is that each one of us needs to find the unique being that we are. Each one of us, no one is, this is interesting, we're neither better nor worse nor equal to anyone else. We are unique. So, you know, I, when I came across this idea, it was like, oh, right. Because I was like busy thinking, okay, don't be superior, don't be inferior, we're equal. So we're not superior, not inferior, not equal. There's no comparison at all. You're unique. And when we find our own unique uniqueness, our individuality and our uniqueness, and we own it and we express it and we live by it, that whole thing falls away. Because your soul is in total expansion when when you find it. The calling is in your soul. The uniqueness is in your soul. It's programmed in you. And when you agree that you're going to go find that and uncover it and then express it, because the way that I hear you ask the question, it's like kind of like, okay, so either I'm very special and outstanding and then I can have confidence or I'm just an average. There is no such a thing as an average person. You're all, each one of us, is a unique expression of the divine. And there's no two same expressions. And when you find that and you know what your unique expression is and you live it, that whole problem falls away. You're not even asking if I'm confident or if I'm not confident. You're being yourself. You're too busy being yourself and loving it. Because when we're ourselves, we're free. Wow. It's such a great, I never thought of it that way. I have to be very honest. I never thought of it that way. I, I love the perspective. I think a lot of people look at, you know, even the Rishenim, when they talk about being down the Kavs they say how one of the Rishenim says that we constantly judge people. So the mitzvah is to judge them in a favorable light. It, meaning we, it's so understood that we will judge how we look at people because that's just what we do. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, at they do it favorably, right? At least do it favorably that that's what the mitzvah is, which is a very interesting perspective on it. We don't think about it like that, but he's like, we, we just do it. So at least do it in a good light. Um, I feel like a lot of people do that. They look up and they go, Oh, this person is higher. or This person is lower. You know, I could look down at this person. People say that all the time. I'm looking down at this person or I'm looking up at you. You know, like they say that terminology and then for themselves, they have their peers. They call it, you know, their horizontal line, the people who are sort of on their level. But you're saying it's not like that. You don't say like Mars and well, that's Pluto. true. That's true when, we, when we're evaluating it from the ego. The ego does that, not the soul. Right. When you don't have to connect to the neshama, the neshama is not a... All, all neshama is the divine spots of Hashem. What are you going to say? One's better, one's worse. <laughs> Just the, that's not the language. It's not the measurement. It doesn't, mm-hmm. It's not even... Wow. It's like two, I hear, I, I'm, I'm processing this because I've never thought of it that way. It's like, it's so true. I Meaning it's like, like you look at the stars, you don't think like this and this, when you get, when you get close to something, you don't say like Mars and Pluto are equal, that terminology doesn't work. This is this, and this is that. And you view it as separate, this, they're each their own entity. I feel like most people look at it like sand, meaning you just look at it, it's just a whole bunch of the same thing, but it's not like that. 
it's well when you see the spark of the divine in every grain of sand just like you know that every snowflake doesn't look the same as each other like how wild is that like think about (laughs) it even the snowflakes are unique and individual expressions and and there's just unlimited infinite expressions of the divine that are each one is unique and individual and and when but for us you know when we can claim that in ourselves the whole problem falls away that problem doesn't in that paradigm that lives in the paradigm of the ego and the ego is always comparing but not the soul mm-hmm. so connecting more to that you, yeah that's one more reason why you really want to connect to your nishama because you'll have peace of mind you wouldn't care about where anyone else is or what anyone else is doing you're so busy being the light that you are that that was going to bring me to my last question which was about simcha um, I feel that a lot of people, they, they don't, and maybe it really circles back to so many of the concepts we've discussed today, but um, the end of the day, a lot of people, if you say to them, are you happy? They feel kind of happy. Yeah, why not? You know, they're happy. But, <laughs> but to like truly be like the Simcha, like I, I, we had a, a class with Rebusla Califan, who's my, one of my Rebbeim. And I was, I mentioned then, I, I said, I feel like everyone can get themselves to a level where you're shicker with your spouse. Meaning if you really put like, you know, the time and the effort into things, just like you could be shicker with like a newborn baby, like this is my baby. If you really internalize what that meant for you, like, why can't you get that with somebody who's, you know, who you're able to talk to? You can't even talk to a baby. You know, if you're, you could have talked to, to them, but you can't have that relationship with them. Um, but I think when it comes to life in general, not too many people feel shicker with life. They, they, like, they're not like, wow, you know, my, like, Hashem, you woke me up today. And I know that's weird to do. So nobody should do that really. But people feel like they're on a hamster wheel. And it's like, I'm not in, you know, I'm going to use the word pain and pleasure. Like, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm overall, I'm happy. But how do people increase that level of happiness? Well, first of all, it's really nice when people can say I'm overall happy. I don't know if that would be the average either. <laughs> <laughs> Hamster wheel. <laughs> um, um, so how can people increase their joy? Is that the question? Yeah. How does a person go through their day? asking me, how do you deal with the reality that because we're so distracted and there's so many commitments, it's impossible to access joy. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that's true. First of all, that's true. <laughs> it's difficult to access a high state vibration like joy gratitude when we are emotionally mentally physically exhausted and that's why it's so important and especially for women and especially at a time like this for those of you that are still you know have the extra all that's occurred as a result of the corona realize that you can't afford to neglect your well-being in fact that needs to be a basic commitment which is this i am committed to my well-being And therefore, I'm going to live my life in balance. And it starts with a commitment. Now, I know that if you're on this hamster wheel, you have no idea how that commitment could possibly help you and how you can even make that commitment because what do you want me to do? There's supper, there's kids, there's a husband coming home, there's work commitments, there's a a house, whatever, right? But it has to start. You need to appreciate the importance of your well-being. This is not a selfish thing, okay? This is a basic ingredient to be able to live your life and maintain simcha. Simcha will be a result of it. 
But without that simcha, eventually you get burnt out and you don't want to face another day. And many women feel that way. They do feel that way. Um, and I want to validate that because I also think that we don't give enough credit to the task at hand for raising children and for raising many children. We just think, well, everyone's doing it. It's expected. And so we don't, we don't appreciate that one second. Each child that you need to raise requires huge amounts of energy, time, and effort put in and focus. Each child. Multiply that by the number of children that you have. Multiply that if you have other commitments in your life. Multiply that if you can't afford support and help or whatever. You know, I just want to, I, I just want to say that I think women in today's generation, they don't appreciate enough that really the expectations of them are very, very high. So I want to start over there. With that being said, when you make a commitment, I am committed to my well-being, and you're serious about it. And what that basically means is living your life in balance. So there needs to be a balance between either you can say it like this, output and input, which is the energy that I put out in the energy that I fill myself with, whether you talk about the balance like that, or the balance between work and play, if you want to say it that way, regardless, there's got to be a level of balance. And when there's that level of balance in your life, there's place for your joy to come back. Because we naturally want to give as an expression of our purpose and meaning, and we want to contribute beyond ourselves, and that's expressed in raising children, perhaps another job that we might have in our relationships, offering our love. We are naturally wired. We want to do that. When we hold back on that, we feel distress. But at the same time, we need to fill ourselves to be able to naturally do that. Because you can't have a car running on no gas. And that's the gas is what we do to take care of our well-being. As soon as you make that commitment and you realize it's imperative, you can't function without it. You can't find, eventually it's going to catch up with you. And you do that, Hashem matches every serious commitment with equal and opposite siyata dishmaya. And it's amazing to see what happens. So, for example, for me, and every, every so often I have to recommit because I fall off my, my, own, my own track. <laughs> but you make this a commitment and the commitment comes with a list of things. I will, as a commitment to my well-being, I will delegate what I can delegate. I will live by a set of realistic expectations. I have a list of what will I do to take care of my well-being. I will set aside alone time twice a day. Put that down on my list. I will do self-care things. I will receive any and every offer for help. I'll be a great receiver. And, and what I will not do, I will not compare myself to others and their abilities. It's got nothing to do with me. Everyone has their set of who cares. And, and so I have my list of what I will do and what I won't do. And I'm checking this list is supposed to meet that commitment to my well-being and balance. And, and then I start to live it. So if someone calls up and says, can you take care of my child? And I know that I'm on deplete right now. And my commitment to myself and my well-being was that I will not take on something that is beyond the level of energy that I have to give. So I'm going to kindly say no. Okay. And so I can hear some people feeling the challenge of that, right? Um, I'm going to delegate. I'm going to clean up less than perfect. And I start to live with it. And when you do that, Hashem sends solutions, help, support. If you commit to take extra household help, he will send you money. 
Can I share quickly just an example that came up this week with one of our participants? Sure, sure, sure. I hope she's okay with it. It doesn't sound very private, but she shared it in public and it was such a great story. We did a walk through together and she's got her kids home. Like I have to say like many of you over in the, in the United States, because in Eretz Israel, we don't feel it anymore. Baruch Hashem, we've moved on. Kids are back and life kind of has a semblance of normalcy again. Um, but she's still got her kids home and, and she was so frustrated with her four-year-old because her four-year-old was around her all day and she couldn't get on with anything. It's a four-year-old is a difficult age. Okay. It's yeah. like a baby. They're, they're like energy age. They're not independent enough to occupy themselves. They can occupy themselves for 10 minutes, but then they're back at you. And she, she, so I said to her, you can ask Hashem for help. You're allowed to ask Hashem for help. This is too much for you. So just ask, what do you need? This is a particular process that we use, but it's, but I'm, I'm bringing it back to that she has a right to her well-being, that she must know that she needs to protect it. So I said, what do you need? And she says, well, I need some entertainment for my child. Anyway, we finished doing the work through. She shared that she got off the phone and walked back into her house or wherever she was, and her teenager met her, and she said to her, Ma, I've got a project that I have to do for school, and I need the kids for it. So can I have the kids for the next hour? She took the four-year-old and she entertained the four-year-old for the next hour. And suddenly an hour of time opened up for her that she couldn't have figured out before that. Where was she going to get this from? That's just a short, small example. I have thousands of such stories. You commit to your well-being. You understand why this is necessary. It is not selfish. It's just basic. If you only exhaled, you die. If you're on the inhale, you die. You got to keep a balance between what you, the output and the input. You must maintain a balance. This is true also for the way you're balancing your life. And so be committed to your well-being. And, what, and you'll reclaim your joy for life. You'll just reclaim your joy for life because you're not exhausted. And you can't access, it's true that you cannot access the natural joy that life could give you when you're running on deplete. I love that muscle. Input versus output. A lot of people, they feel like they get so much sleep from just output, but then they don't realize like they are on empty. They just, they're not putting into their own life enough. Wow. For women, for women, this is especially a challenge. So I I just, as a woman, I want to put it out there to the women community that's listening. And and like I say, I have to recommit again. I I fall off. I forget, you know. (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you were able to output, meaning this time you didn't feel like you you know, that you were able to give this to us. Mazel tov on your son's engagement. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I want to remind our viewers um, that on Monday night, we're going to have Rabbi Yawai Jacobson here on the show. Looking very forward to that. Um, As well as thanking once again to our anytime. And thank you, Mrs. Friedman. Everybody can follow your content and learn and gain. There's so, there's so much wisdom here. I literally have a hundred things that I have to put, you know, process and put down into my own way of processing things. Um, but I know they could find all of your content on dinafriedmanacademy.com, right? If I'm correct. Um, and they can sign up. They should sign up because there's so much knowledge here that even if your life not, is not in pain, but when you recognize what it could become, you will say to yourself, what? Why did, I, why did I settle for this, you know, in terms of my children, in terms of myself, in terms of my husband? Why did I do that all these years when I could have done something, you know, bigger and greater? I just want to share with you, I, I put out um, a marriage curriculum on my website, marriagepro.co, and I had a couple that signed up, one of my first couples that ever signed up from more of like a Heimish Hasidish background. And they were watching it together as a newlywed couple because they really wanted to digest and understand all the steps of marriage. And 
their, the grandparents came in in their 80s. They came in together and they saw their grandchildren who were newly married watching this curriculum. And they go, you know, like, what are you watching? You watching movies? They said, no, we're watching a curriculum on marriage. So the, gra- the grandmother and the gra- grandmother sluts over the grandfather. She says, no, come on, let's, let's go. We're going over here. We're going to watch it. Mind my Yiddish. I can't speak Yiddish at all. But they, they go over and they sit down and they're watching for like, you know, 15 minutes. And the children are listening to the grandparents have an interaction. And the grandmother says to the grandfather, could you imagine if we would have watched this 50 years ago? Like, could, and like with pain, could you imagine if we would have known this 50 years ago, how different our lives would have been? And then, you know, they walked off, they shuffled off together. And the grandchildren who are watching this, they turned to each other. They were like so gratified that they, they're putting in that investment from the beginning. Because you, if you know what something could be and you know that you're not there. It, that itself is a pain body. To me, that was one of the highlights. I have like 50 highlights from this. But to me, that's one of the highlights, which I think is, is so brilliant. Thank you again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on here. And just be revenge. Continue your Avaita Sakaida. Such a joy and pleasure to share. I really appreciate it. Very good. Take care. All the best. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.